millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 97, 98, 99 and 100 of The Da Vinci Code. So where we left off, the teacher killed Remy with some peanut juices. And it looked like Silas and Arangarosa also died, but it turns out they're not dead yet. And Langdon, with the help of the world's slowest search engine, has figured out that Isaac Newton is buried at Westminster Abbey. And he's like, oh, there's the night that a Pope interred. So, you know, that was a whole big thing. So now we're picking up right away, hearing all about what Westminster Abbey is. Oh, my goodness gracious me. So the chapter starts, more than 3,000 people are entombed or enshrined within Westminster Abbey. Okay. The colossal stone interior houses the remains of kings, statesmen, scientists, poets, musicians, blah, 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 blah. Queen Elizabeth I, she's chilling there. It's designed in the style of great cathedrals, blah, 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 blah. Oh my God. Okay, so it's housed, it's housed the coronation of William the Conqueror. Okay. And then look, look at this list of royal ceremonies and affairs of state. (laughs) Dan Brown, he's like, I've got to think of three examples that sum up the activity at Westminster Abbey. So he says, the canonization of Edward the Confessor, the marriage of Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson, and the funerals of Henry V, Queen Elizabeth I, and Lady Diana. Like, what? Like, the marriage example was Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson, of all people? Was that, was that topical at the time, perhaps? 950 years of history and he's singling out Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson of all people. Maybe that was a big thing back then, but uh, the less we say about Andrew, the better. And so after two gigantic paragraphs of history, it says, even so, Robert Langdon currently felt no interest in any of the Abbey's ancient history. Then, then why were we told it? Langdon's only focused on the funeral of the British knight, Sir Isaac Newton. So they hurry through to the entrance and they're politely ushered through the Abbey's newest addition, a large walk-through metal detector now present in the most historic buildings in London. They both pass through the metal detector without setting off the alarm and continue to the Abbey entrance. Now, that's a super fucking random thing to say, right? Because remember, when we did our little deep dive into Westminster Abbey the other day, they were like, hey, there's no metal detectors here. Dan Brown's lying to you. Amongst other historical inaccuracies, there's no bloody metal detectors 
at Westminster Abbey. And here we get this like rando paragraph about it. Like, why do we need to know that they're getting swiped through a metal detector and that they're passing? Like, yeah, they're not carrying guns. So I, weird attention to detail, but it's going to keep coming up. Like, why? I don't know why Dan felt it necessary to fabricate a metal detector. Of all the things to make up for your novel, it's, it's bizarre. And so now that we're in the Abbey, we get a big description of the ceiling and how it's quiet, all the columns, blah, blah, blah. And what's weird to me is that it's empty. Like there's, there's no tourists. There's no one just praying and shit. It's just completely empty, apparently. Sophie goes, oh, it's practically empty. And Langdon felt disappointed because he wanted there to be more people. He didn't want it to be like Temple Church where there weren't people. He wanted it to be busy, a nice public place, blah, blah, blah. And it said he had been anticipating a certain feeling of security in the popular tourist destination. But his recollections of the Abbey had been formed during the peak summer tourist season. Today was a rainy April morning. Rather than crowds and shimmering stained glass, all Langdon saw were acres of desolate floor and shadowy empty alcoves. How is it that empty? I really, I do sincerely doubt that it's that empty. I don't care if it's a rainy April morning. It's a tourist attraction. But no, it's a ghost town. And then Sophie says, don't worry. (laughs) We passed through metal detectors. So if anyone is here, they can't be armed. This stupid Sophie fucking Naveau. She's like, oh, there's metal detectors, Langdon. Like, obviously we're safe here. Like, it's not, it's not that obvious. I feel like someone could sneak in a gun if they wanted to. Metal detector or no. Sophie had insisted that they don't involve the police, as we know, because she's like, we need to recover the cryptex. It's the key to everything. We need it to get Lee back. We need it to find the Holy Grail. We need it to find out who's behind everything. We can't involve the police for some reason. And it says, unfortunately, their only chance to recover the keystone seemed to be here and now at the tomb of Isaac Newton. You know what though? I still don't think you need to go to the actual tomb itself. I doubt that this was Sonia's intention for someone to travel from Paris where the cryptex is located all the way to London just to decipher it. You can solve the riddle without looking at the tomb. I think it would actually help to not even think about the tomb. Just think, oh, Isaac Newton, and you just put in random five letter words. And because they're under the assumption that the Holy Grail's somewhere in London, but it's not. It's actually way back in Paris. So I bet if Sonia was alive and was watching them on this scavenger hunt, he'd be like, you don't have to actually go to London, you dingbats. Like what? Why are you going all the way over there? But no, it says whoever held the cryptex would have to pay a visit to the tomb to decipher the final clue. (sighs) Images exist. Uh, Do photographs not exist? Was this book written in a multiverse where Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson are still the top celebrity couple and photographs never existed? What the f- So Langdon, he's still beating himself up over Lee, just really worried that Lee's probably being held captive in the back of his limo. And it says, it seemed a cruel irony that Teabing, a modern British knight, was a hostage in the search for his own countryman, Sir Isaac Newton. I don't know if that's ironic. Also, you're not really in a search for Isaac Newton. You know where he is. He's buried right over there. And Sophie says, well, where's the tomb? And Langdon goes, I don't know. Oh God. They were in the library, a research library and go get them seemed to know everything about it, but they didn't ask for specifics on the inside. 
They didn't say, all right, do we turn left or right after we enter? So he has no idea. So they're going to try and find a docent and ask them. And then we get, (sighs) we get another description of the Abbey. Another fucking description of how complicated the Abbey is. Oh, it's a tangled warren of mausoleums, chambers, and walk-in burial niches. Just like the Louvre's Grand Gallery, it had a lone point of entry. So it was easy to find your way in, but impossible to find your way out. What? (laughs) It says, a literal tourist trap, one of Langdon's befuddled colleagues had called it. What, what What do you mean? I'm sure people aren't getting stuck in the Abbey, not being able to find their way out. I, I think the tourists get out eventually. Impossible to find your way out, it says. Impossible. I'm sure there's exit signage. Follow the arrows. It's not impossible. And he says it's impossible because its entrance was on its side rather than at the front or the back. Way to way to blow something out of proportion. That is so silly. Maybe there are tourists still in Westminster Abbey to this very day just trying to get out because uh, it's impossible to escape. No, but you'd think it was the bloody maze runner because it says, moreover, the Abbey had a series of sprawling cloisters attached, one false step through the wrong archway, and a visitor was lost in a labyrinth of outdoor passageways surrounded by high walls. Yet yeah, people, people are lost. People are lost in there. People died of starvation trying to find their way out of Westminster Abbey. That's what's happened. So, okay, and then they're looking around for a docent and Langdon, he's like, oh, docents wear crimson robes. And Sophie's like, okay, I'll keep an eye out. So he remembers that, all right. And then he sees several people crawling on their hands and knees and he calls it a prostrate pilgrimage, a common occurrence in the poet's corner, although it was far less holy than it appeared. And it says in italics, tourists doing grave rubbings. Grave rubbing. So they're just rubbing themselves over the grave. That's, that's fun. Um, but I'm like, oh, okay. So there's several people there. You told me it was empty and deserted, but okay. There's several people rubbing themselves up against Charles Dickens's tomb. Okay. And Sophie says, I don't see any docents. She's the, the queen of doing the, the husband look, you know, the look a husband gives when he's trying to find something in the drawer and he's like, can't find it. It's not here. And then the wife comes over and she goes, it's right there. Did you even look? Yep, she's doing that because she's like, I can't see any docents, mate. Maybe we can find the tomb on our own. And Langdon's like, (laughs) he doesn't say anything. It says, without a word, he led her another few steps to the center of the abbey and pointed to the right. And so then she's looking down at the labyrinth of tombs and she's like, oh no, we're never going to find it on our own. What was I thinking? I was doing a boy look. And she says, let's find a docent. Oh my goodness gracious me. And then we cut to the teacher's perspective. A hundred yards down that way, he's standing at the tomb of Sir Isaac Newton and he'd been there for 10 minutes scrutinizing it, looking for the orb that should be there. So the tomb is a massive black marble sarcophagus and there's a sculpted form of Sir Isaac Newton wearing a classical costume and leaning proudly against a stack of his own books. Okay, and the books listed are Divinity, Chronology, Optics, and Philosophae Naturalis Principa Mathematica. Okay, he really switched it up there, didn't he? Like his first three books are just like one word wonders. And then he really word jumbled it with Philosophy Naturalis Principa Mathematica at the end there. Oh, what a tonal shift. And then there's two little angel figures holding a scroll. And then there's this big pyramid. And then there's an orb halfway up the pyramid. And on that orb 
are a bunch of constellations, signs of the zodiac, comets, stars, planets, all that crap. And the teacher's like, oh no, that's a lot of orbs. He's like, what am I going to do? There's so many orbs here. You're looking for the one that's not there, cunt. Like, oh, why, are they, why are they at the tomb? I don't understand why you have to go all the way to the tomb to see something that's not on the tomb. The clue says it's not there. Don't go looking because you're not going to find it because it's specifically not on the fucking tomb. And here he is standing in front of the tomb for 10 fucking minutes looking for something that's not there. And Robert's like, well, we have to go there. We have to. We have to. There's no way to figure it out unless we're at the tomb. Use context clues, you dumb pieces of shit. So the teacher was convinced that once he found the tomb, Discerning the missing orb would be easy, but now he was not so sure. Yeah, don't say. So he's thinking maybe there was a missing planet. Maybe an orb was missing from a constellation. He had no idea. And then he's repeating the poem. It speaks of rosy flesh and seeded womb. And he's like, hmm, doesn't sound like any planets I know, but it must be a planet. So he's just still staring at the fucking orb. And then his concentration was broken by several approaching tourists. Several, several tourists. I thought it was a rainy April morning. I thought no one would be there. So he's watching the tourists leave a donation and then they're grabbing the complimentary grave rubbing supplies set out by the Abbey, which are fresh charcoal pencils and large sheets of heavy paper. What is this grave rubbing trend that I'm not aware of? Grave robbing? Yeah, I've heard of that. Grave rubbing? Like, what are you, jacking off on a tombstone? Like, what are you doing? And, you know, it's, it's not very common for Dan Brown not to explain something. And he sort of semi explains it. He says, they go to the poet's corner to pay their respects to Chaucer, Tennyson, Dickens by rubbing furiously on their graves. And I'm like, okay, okay, I get that there's rubbing involved, but I don't, I, so I guess they put the piece of paper down and, and then they rub the charcoal on the paper. So they get like an imprint of the tombstone. I don't know why. Not too sure why they're doing that, but for him to describe it as rubbing furiously on their graves, yeah, my mind's going to someone jacking it. uh, I'm reading too much Fifty Shades Freed over on the Patreon because my mind's going to a dirty place. So now that he's alone again, he's staring, he's staring at the tomb, he's trying to find the orb that's missing, and he's like, why isn't it here? Because it's specifically not meant to be there. And teacher Bing, he's starting to freak out. He's like, come on, I've got to figure it out. Only five letters separate me from the grail. And that's not true. Not true. Five letters separate you from opening the cryptex, which we think has a map to the grail. It's not the actual grail itself inside of that little cryptex. And then, you know, if you're that dumb already, you're probably not going to figure out the map portion either. And so then teacher Bing, he cops a glimpse of Langdon and Nouveau down the other end of the abbey. And he's like, oh, Oh, that was quick. And it says, he had anticipated Langdon and Sophie would eventually decipher the poem's meaning and come to Newton's tomb. Had, had he anticipated that? Because they were, they were not even close. Back at the temple church, they were grasping at straws. And then it says, reaching into his pocket, he grabs the second object that gave him his confidence, the Medusa revolver. <gasps> He's hoodwinked the metal detectors. It says, as expected, the Abbey's metal detectors had blared as the teacher passed through with the concealed gun. And as expected, the guards had backed off at once when the teacher glared indignantly and flashed his identification card. Official rank always commanded the proper respect, so they just waved him through. What? Why have a metal detector? If you're not going to detect the metal and do something once you've detected the metal. And what is the ID card? Just that he's like a knight of the British Empire. Like, okay, that's cool. 
but I'm also gonna need to check your pockets for some weaponry. Like what? So the, the alarms went off and they just waved him through. Dan could have just written it as they're not being a metal detector and would be in the exact same situation. And so, and, and now t- Teacher Bing, he's changing his mind completely. He went to the temple church to stage a fake kidnapping to get away from Sophie and Langdon. And now he's thinking, you know what? Initially, the teacher had hoped to solve the cryptex alone and avoid any further complications, but he now sensed that the arrival of Langdon and Nouveau was a welcome development. Considering the lack of success he was having with the orb reference, he might be able to use their expertise. What? What expertise? They were already stumped. You know that they're stumped. You read the poem together and they had no fucking clue. So why do you think you need their expertise? You go to this great length to distance yourself from them and, and now you're like, oh, you know what? They can come in handy. What, since when? They've, they've barely figured anything out all night. But no, it says, after all, if Langdon had deciphered the poem to find the tomb, there was a reasonable chance he also knew something about the orb. And yet, T-Bing, you deciphered the poem to find the tomb and you don't have a clue about the orb. So one does not necessarily involve the other. And also he only figured it out after going to that theological library and searching on a supercomputer with the help of Go Get em. And they didn't bring Go Get em, so I think they're stuffed. So he's like, you know what? Let's catch up with them, but not here, somewhere private. So he thinks we got to lure them to the perfect place. The only question was what to use as bait. End of chapter. And that's Dan Brown still trying to throw us off the scent. The bait is going to be teabing, but he is teabing, but we're not meant to know that. So for chapter 98, where with Langdon and Sophie, they're still wandering around like bloody headless chooks trying to find Newton's tomb. So I'm guessing they're stumbling across it. And so they're like, wow, look at that. A giant tomb. And then we get another description of it. Did anyone forget what it looked like from last chapter? But no, we've got to hear it again. Okay, so black marble sarcophagus, statue of Newton, two winged boys, huge pyramid, enormous orb. Are we, are we all on the same page still? You got that image locked in your minds? Okay, let's, let's progress. Oh, and then Sophie's like, look at that. It's an orb. It's got constellations carved onto it. And he's like, oh, wow. And so now Langdon's just going through the same bloody monologue that Teabing just went through being like, wow, look, there's so many orbs. Newton's tomb was covered with orbs, stars, comets, planets. It could turn out to be like trying to find a missing blade of grass on a golf course. What? And Sophie's like, oh no, it's a lot of astronomical bodies, lots of them. And then Sophie's reading out the list of books. So then we get the list of books repeated to us. Divinity, chronology, optics, philosophy naturalis principa mathematica. She says, any of them ring any bells? And Langdon's like, hmm, principa mathematica, I do remember. He, he should know more stuff. He's a Harvard scholar, but he's only remembered one of those books. And he's like, yeah, something about the gravitational pull of planets, which I guess are orbs, but that all seems a little far-fetched. What? So now he's, now he's at the tomb and he's looking at all the astronomical bodies and he's thinking, mm, I don't really think that would be the answer to the, to the riddle. Planets as orbs, that seems a bit gauche. Even though he's also tried Venus, he admitted to trying Venus as one of the five letter answers, but no, it's not that. And like, that's what's far-fetched? That? That, that the code word might be something astronomical? He's like, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit weird. 
After everything he's been through tonight and all the shit he's been talking, this is where he draws the line. What a dipshit. What a dipshit. And he, then he's thinking about like, oh, the end of days. Remember he was saying how the church or the priory or whatever thought the end of days would have been the end of Pisces and the a- dawning of the age of the Aquarius. And that at the dawning of the Aquarius, that was when the Priory planned to release the Sangreal documents. So, I mean, astronomy has been involved in all of this, but he's like, ugh, planets? That's crazy. Seems a little far-fetched. You're far-fetched. So then Sophie, she's going on about how, yeah, you told me earlier that the timing of the Priory's plans to unveil the truth about the rose in her fertile womb was linked directly to the position of the planets, aka orbs. And Langdon's like, yeah, I guess it seems a little bit cuckoo, but okay. And then it says, even so, his intuition told him astronomy was not the key. What? You're at the tomb of an astronomer. I mean, yeah, you're correct. But also like, why are you ruling it out so quickly? He thinks the Grandmaster's previous solutions had all possessed an eloquent symbolic significance. Mona Lisa, Madonna of the Rocks, Sophia. It was also eloquent. And he's like... But planetary orbs in the Zodiac? Mm, don't think so. He's really got it out for this idea. And then Sophie's looking at the sarcophagus and she's like, wait a minute, someone's been here. So the teacher had scribbled oh, with his charcoal that he must've grabbed from the grave rubbing pile of supplies. He's gotten a bit of charcoal and he's written on the sarcophagus, which is black marble and it's a charcoal writing utensils. So I don't know how legible it is, but anyway, so he's written in charcoal pencil. I have teaming go through chapter house out South exit to the public garden. I mean, what, what a list of instructions. My question is, so he obviously went to the grave rubbing corner to get the charcoal pencil. Why didn't he just grab a piece of paper as well? While you're there, there's a whole stack of papers and pencils, but he, so he has to write on the tomb. Even though the, the whole abbey's deserted, apart from a few grave robbers <laughs> or rubbers, um, it's deserted. He needs to lead them away from the tomb to a more private area. So, but why are you going away from the tomb when you haven't figured out the riddle yet? You're meant to be at the tomb to solve the riddle, apparently. This stupid book. I'm thinking about it more than teacher being ever thought about it. That's for sure. And so now they're like, oh, do you reckon it's a trap? And Langdon shakes his head and he goes, nah, it's not a trap. Of course it's a trap. Of course it's a trap. In your head, this person has killed like four people, has chased you to London, hunting down this cryptex, kidnapped an elderly knight in crutches. And you're like, yeah, no, nah, they wouldn't stoop so low as to trap us. Of course it's, of course it's a fucking trap. But they're like, okay, well, let's go check it out. Oh my goodness gracious me. So where they're going is in this little garden area or something. So it's outside. The area boasts the oldest living fruit trees in Great Britain, if that's important for you to know. He says, I think he's sending us outside as a show of faith so we feel safe. And Sophie's like, but there's no metal detectors leading us outside. Again, not that it matters because the douchebag got the gun in anyway because they just waved him through. I don't know why the metal detectors are such an important plot point. And Langdon says, well, the note says to go through the chapter house to the south exit, maybe from the exit, we can have a view of the garden and we can assess the situation before we walk out there and expose ourselves to any danger. And Sophie's like, okay, great. She's a police officer. 
she's meant to be smarter than this, but she's like, okay, well, if you say it's not a trap, let's, let's go for it. So they head out that direction. It's actually very convoluted. I can, I can see why people in Westminster Abbey get lost forever because they're taking this turn and that turn and they're going through here. And then there's a closed for renovation little hallway. And then they're in some other bloody chamber. Then they're stumbling across the bloody chamber of secrets. They're talking parcel tongue to get into that room. It's all very convoluted. The staircases are moving. And then they're in some random chapel, uh, which is also called chapter house for some reason. And then they got to go through to the garden. Honestly, I'm confused. So they go into this room, this chapter house, and they're looking around and they're like, wait a minute, there's no exit into the garden. And they're like, oh, the night lied to us. Oh, it was a trap. Oh, who would have thought? So they enter, they enter this dead end room, expecting there to be an exit. Like use your eyes, first of all, but they enter into it and then the door shuts behind them and they turn around and up, oh, guess who it is? A lone man stood behind the door looking calm as he aimed a small revolver at them. He was portly and was propped on a pair of aluminum crutches. <gasps> it was Lee Teabing. Oh my God, Mike fucking dropped. That's the end of that chapter. Wow. Who else is shocked? Who else is shocked? Who else is a gog and aghast? Not me. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so chapter 99 starts and T-Bing's like, haha, and he's holding... His Medusa revolver. We need to know the brand of the revolver. He's holding it at them and he says, my friends, since the moment you walked into my home last night, I have done everything in my power to keep you out of harm's way. 
did, did you know? But your persistence has now put me in a difficult position. And so, okay, I think Langdon's figuring it out that Teabing's behind all of this, but Sophie, oh, worst police officer in the world, she's got not a clue. And Lee says, please believe me, I never had any intention of you being involved. You came to my home, you came searching for me. And Langdon's like, what are you, what are you doing? We thought you were in trouble. We came here to help you. So he's still not really figured it out. And then he goes, yes, I trusted that you would. We have much to discuss. He says, if I had wanted to harm you, you would be dead by now. When you walked into my home last night, he's really amping that up, isn't he? Don't blame them for bringing this to you when you were also the one killing people. If we're looking for the impetus of this whole night, it's the fact that you hired some albino monk to go and kill people. But he's like, well, you guys, you guys came to my house. So really, it's kind of your fault. And he's saying, I've been risking everything to spare your lives. I'm a man of honor. <laughs> and Langdon's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Because he says, I vowed in my deepest conscience only to sacrifice those who had betrayed the Sangreal. And Langdon, he's like, betrayed the Sangreal? What are you talking? What, 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 are you, what shit are you talking, Lee? So Teabing says he discovered a terrible truth. He learned why the Sangreal documents were never revealed to the world. He learned that the Priory had decided not to release them at the end of days. I'm glad we had that little refresher course on the end of days last chapter. It's actually coming in handy now because I would have forgotten. But we also get a, a refresher on our refresher because Teaving says the Priory were going to release the Sangreal documents when the end of days arrived. Okay, okay, we've got it. For centuries, men like Da Vinci, Botticelli, Newton risked everything to protect the documents and carry out that charge. But now... The millennium has come and gone, and Jacques Saunier changed his mind. He decided that the time was not right. He failed the grail, he failed the priory, and he failed the memory of all the generations that had worked to make that moment possible. Was this written in stone that the documents had to be released at, like, the dawning of the millennium? It's not a bloody Taylor Swift album release schedule. Like, I think there's a bit of flexibility. But no, he was fully expecting the Sangreal documents to drop at 12 a.m. at the year 2000. How do you exactly drop a Sangreal document anyway? Like, how do, you, how do you soft launch that into the universe? What was the marketing plan for it? I just don't understand. Anyway, so he's pissed. And he's directing all of that at Sophie about how Sonia was a piece of shit. And then Sophie's like, wait a minute. Because it says her eyes bored into him with rage and realization. So she's, she's only just come around. And she goes, wait a minute, you, you're the one responsible for my grandfather's murder. And Teabing's like, yeah, well, he scoffs. He's like, it is what it is. Your grandfather was a traitor to the grail. And Sophie's like, how dare you say that? And she's thinking, he's lying, he's lying. What do you care? What do you care? You're estranged from the guy. You dropped him like a sack of potatoes because he was getting his rocks off in the basement with another silver fox. And he says, your grandfather sold out to the church. And she's shaking her head and she goes, the church had no influence on my grandfather. I presume because I didn't talk to him for the past 10 years of my life, but sure, yeah. As far as I'm aware, he was a very independent person. And Teabing, he's like, nah, babe, the church has 2000 years of experience pressuring those who threaten to unveil its lies. And he says, since the days of Constantine, the church has successfully hidden the truth about Mary Magdalene and Jesus. Has it though? Because here we are talking about it nonstop. Langdon's about to publish a book about it, referencing 50 other books from scholars that have already talked about it. But apparently the church are like, 
sending out assassins to shut people up. Well, how come Langdon's still alive? He was in the Vatican just the other day and the Pope having chats to the Pope. And the Pope was like, oh, how are you doing? No mention of, hey, could you please maybe not publish that manuscript about Mary Magdalene, please? Because you can bet if that was their priority, the Pope would have been like, mate, do us a solid. Do us a solid, pull the manuscript, we'll give you something juicy in exchange. But no, it hasn't happened. Anyway, so basically Lee's saying the church got to Sonier and Sonier gave up on his sacred vow to release the documents at, at Y2K. I mean, what a, what a stupid book this is. And so then he also says, Miss Nouveau, your grandfather had been wanting to tell you the truth about your family for some time now. And she's like, what, what do you, what, how do you know that? And he's like, my methods are immaterial. We just know it's bugging. He's just bugged the office. Just some old fashioned eavesdropping. But he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. And he says, the death of your mother, father, grandmother, and brother were not accidental. And she's like, what, what do you mean? It was a car, it was a car accident. And although how many people were in that car? There was a shit ton of people in that car. Was it a clown car? I don't know. But she's like, it was a car accident. And he says, no, no, it wasn't. And he says, Robert, look, it explains everything. All the pieces fit. The church has a precedent of murder when it comes to silencing the Sangreal. So with the end of days imminent, Killing the Grand Master's loved ones sent a very clear message. Be quiet or you and Sophie are next. And Sophie's like, no, no, it was an accident. An accident. And also, Teabing, where do you get off? You just killed Sonia. So why are you being like, oh my God, the church? How, how could they? Meanwhile, he's killed people too. But he's just like, yeah, it makes sense. I can only imagine the terror the church wielded over your grandfather these past years, threatening to kill you if he dared release the Sangreal secret. And Langdon says, Lee, you've got no proof on this. And Teabing says, proof? You want proof the Priory was influenced? The new millennium has arrived and yet the world remains ignorant. Is that not proof enough? N- no, it's not. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's not proof at all. Again, this is a scholar. This is an historian who has been knighted for being like an intelligent person. And he's like, yeah, the proof is that there is no proof. Like, huh. But it's getting to Sophie because she's like, you know what? My granddad did want to tell me something. So he's getting to Sophie, but Langdon's a little bit of a tougher nut to crack. And he goes, let me get this straight. You suspected he was being manipulated. So you murdered him. And Liebing says, well, I didn't pull the trigger. Yeah, but you hired someone to do it, Lee. You're splitting hairs. And Teabing's just like, yeah, he was compromised, like big whoop. And he's like, and now we can fix everything. The three of us together we can carry out Sonia's legacy and right a terrible wrong. And Sophie's like, uh, uh, no. She's like, why do you think we would help you? You just admitted to pretty much getting my dad killed. And Lee's being all like, oh, you owe it to the memory of your grandfather. What? You killed him. What? Why do you think this logic would work on her? And so then Langdon, he's thinking like, oh no, I need to get Sophie out of here alive. I took her to Chateau Vallette, so I'm responsible. Well. She broke you out of the Louvre. You'd be sitting in prison or at the embassy if it weren't for her. So you're not solely responsible, but okay. He feels bad. Great. Okay. And then it also says Langdon had the uneasy feeling that gunshots in this secluded thick walled chamber would go unheard, especially in this rain. What? Like, well, the grave rubbers will hear him. I mean, a, a, a gunshot's still quite loud. Even if there is a sprinkling of rain outside. This is so stupid. And Langdon's not buying it. He thinks the modern church did not murder people. There had to be some other explanation. 
Also, I, I'm not very familiar with angels and demons, but I do think a priest tried to kill him just, you know, last year in the events of the last book. But he's like, the church don't murder people. That's crazy. So Langdon's like, let Sophie go. You and I will sort this out. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I'll hand over the keystone for you. What? What? Why have we gone through so much of this book if it's all just unnecessary? All of that temple church crap, completely unnecessary because now he's just handing the cryptics back to them. And Lee's just really pulling hard on the whole, we've got to work together. The grail found us and now she's begging to be revealed. So he hands over the cryptics and Robert's like, how do you know I won't smash it right now? And Ebing's like, because you made that exact same threat at the temple church and you couldn't go through with it. So like, yeah, it's not going to work again, Robert. Robert, you're so stupid. And Robert says, look, Lee, I can't help. I have no idea how to open it. I only saw Newton's tomb for a moment. <laughs> even though you don't need to see it to believe it. But, and even if I knew the password, probably wouldn't tell you. And then Lee's going on about what he's been trying to do is noble. He's been trying to help them, keep them alive. This is all Sonia's fault because he and his show lied to Silas. What? No, you killed them. He's like, oh, if they had just told the truth when I was murdering them, then we wouldn't be in this situation. He says, how was I to imagine the Grandmaster would go to such ends to deceive me and bequeath the keystone to an estranged granddaughter? <laughs> it wasn't a bequeath. He hid it behind a painting and scribbled a few little clues on the floor. And then he calls Sophie someone so unqualified to hold this knowledge that she required a symbologist babysitter. Again, he could have bequeathed it to anyone else, but he was at a sticky situation because Silas had shot him. Also, symbologist babysitter, I don't think Langdon's actually been that helpful. Sophie's come up with some stuff. Lee came up with some stuff. I don't, I don't really know what good Robert Langdon's been so far. And we're just getting a whole bloody recap of the book because then T-Bing's like, oh, and then you rocked up on my doorstep. We know, we lived it, we read it. And T-Bing says that he knew that Sonier was gonna reach out to him and that he'd offer to help. He says one way or another, the Keystone was coming to Chateau Valette. I don't care. And then he says, Silas was supposed to break in and steal the Keystone from you in Chateau Valette, thus removing you from the equation without hurting you and exonerating me from any suspicion of complicity. What? Yeah, well, maybe with the dummy police officers like Lieutenant Collette, yeah, maybe that would have worked. But this all sounds ridiculous. And he says, however, when I saw the intricacy of Sonia's codes, I decided to include you both in my quest a bit longer. And yet you, you did still send Silas into kid. Ah, none of it makes sense. Oh, and Sophie still hadn't figured out that the Temple Church was a ruse yet. Oh my God, slow Sophie. She says, oh my God, the Temple Church. And Lee's like, oh, finally. <laughs> Lee in italics thinks, Light begins to dawn. He's thinking this dummy, <laughs> this dummy. And then we get his perspective on how he had to stage the kidnapping at the temple church. Oh, but Remy showed his face. Oh, what a cock up. So Remy pretended to tie him hostage in the back of the seat. With the soundproof divider raised, T-Bing phoned Silas from the back seat. <laughs> and then they dropped him off at Opus Day. He did the anonymous tip to the police saying Silas was there. And then the only other loose end was Remy. And he did exactly what I suspected. He got the can of crushed peanuts and put some peanut dust in the alcohol. And then yeah, rest in peace, Remy. Oh, and then we're even, we're even walking through him entering Westminster Abbey with the bloody metal detectors. Everything comes back to the metal detectors. 
It says, Westminster Abbey had been a short walk, and although Tabing's leg braces, crutches, and gun had set off the metal detector, the renter cops never knew what to do. Renter cops? They're, they're security. Do we ask him to remove his braces and crawl through? Do we frisk his deformed body? Tabing presented the flustered guards a far easier solution an embosed card identifying him as Knight of the Realm. So they practically tripped over one another, ushering him in. Okay, I do think if you're going to go to all the trouble of having imaginary metal detectors set up, you would have a plan in place for when they go off. Disabled people are allowed to visit museums and churches. I think, I think you have a plan. But no, so that's, that solves the mystery of how we got the gun through the metal detectors. Thank, thank God we find that out. And now Teeving's saying to them, guys, listen, can you hear it? The Grail is speaking to us across the centuries. She's begging to be saved, blah, blah, fucking blah. Help me open the cryptex, essentially is what he's saying. And Sophie says, yeah, nah, I will never swear an oath with my grandfather's murderer. Except an oath that I will see you go to prison. Okay, I don't know. I don't know when he asked you to say an oath. <laughs> I don't know where that's coming from, but I'm on you. I'm on your side. And then Teeving says, okay, well, whatever. What about you, Robert? Are you with me or against me? And that's the end of the chapter. Okay, and then chapter 100. You'd think it'd be a big deal, but now it's a bit of a flop. We're with Bishop Manuel Arangorosa. And so he and Silas are still alive. I thought they had both been shot to pieces last week, but I guess they're still alive. And the great Albino, it says, (laughs) the great Albino was struggling down a misty sidewalk, shouting for a hospital. And he's carrying Arangarosa in his hands. Did the police just leave? There were multiple police officers at the Opus Dei headquarters, covering both the entrance and the women's entrance. They were shooting at him, and now he's just he's just walking around the streets of London trying to find a nearby hospital. And no and no one stopped him? And Langdon thinks planets being involved is far-fetched, but, uh, but this is more far-fetched. So Silas is like, oh, I'm sorry about this. And he goes, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Silas. This is all my fault. So they're realizing that they got conned by the teacher. And we sort of get Arangoros's backstory. Remember when he went and met with the Vatican lawyers at that observatory? And it's kind of weird that the Vatican would have an observatory because, you know, planets are so far-fetched. And he had that meeting and he was like, oh, five months ago, they told me my world was changing, blah, 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 but he never specified what it was. Well, really, all it was, was that the church were going to excommunicate Opus Dei. Or not excommunicate, but they're going to distance themselves from Opus Dei and make them an unofficial church. They said, look, you've had a number of recent controversies because, you know, every controversy is recent. We're not really vibing with your vibe. The new Pope doesn't love you. The old one, hey, yeah, he liked you, but the new one doesn't fuck with you. So we're going to ask you to get a plan to leave the Catholic Church. And Arangarossa was like, what, you can't do that? That's fucked. And they're like, yeah, we can actually. The new Pope doesn't like you. So we're disassociating from the Opus Dei. But because you gave us all this money in the 80s, we'll buy you out with Vatican bonds. So that explains the Vatican bonds. Really not that interesting. So yeah, that was that meeting. And then a few weeks later, he got a call from the teacher and the teacher knew all about that conversation that had just happened apparently. And he says, yeah, I have ears everywhere, Bishop. I know what they're gonna do, but with your help, I can uncover the hiding place of a sacred relic that will bring you enormous power, enough power to make the Vatican bow before you, enough power to save the faith, 
not just for Opus Day, but for all of us. And so Bishop Aaron Grosser, being a big old dummy, he's like, okay, no need to tell me your name or who you are, but I will certainly help you do this. I have an albino monk at the ready if you want to assassinate anyone. What? What? As, it's just, is Dan Brown really asking us to swallow all of this? So then we cut to the present. Bishop Aaron Grosser was unconscious when the doors of St. Mary's Hospital hissed open. And so everyone in the reception area gaped as the half-naked albino offered forth a bleeding clergyman. <laughs> half-naked albino. We get it. Silas has albinism. We, we, we got it. So Aaron Grosser's on a gurney. He's getting looked at by a doctor. And Silas says, Father, if it takes my lifetime, I will find the one who deceived us and I will kill him. How's he still alive? I thought he got shot. Did he not get shot? I feel like in the movie he got shot, but here he is just walking around still. And Arangarossa turns a new leaf and apparently he's against murdering people now. And he says, Silas, if you've learned nothing from me, please learn this. Forgiveness is God's greatest gift. He's like, yeah, we killed a few people tonight to try and find her holy grail relic, but you know, forgiveness is kind of nice. And then Aaron Garosa closed his eyes and said, Silas, you must pray. And that's the end of that chapter. Flop city. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. Next week, we'll finish the book. And there's still so much to resolve. We haven't figured out the orb yet. Still, we still haven't figured out the orb. And then we've got to take the map out of that cryptex and find the fucking holy grail. (sighs) And we've only got a few chapters left. I don't know how Dan's going to fit it all in. Anyway, I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.